Well, you may remember in 1 Peter we read uh, most weeks of the, of the series from the beginning this, this incredible statement of what we have received in Christ and what God has done for us, not what we have done, but what God has done for us. So let me just remind you, as Peter is going to say a number of times, I want to stir up your minds to a sincere knowledge and remind you of what you have, have in Christ Jesus. He says in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, you face various trials. Isn't that just incredible? God has caused you to be born again to a living hope and God is guarding your faith and in that you rejoice even as you face various trials. Well, we move on to 2 Peter and we hold that in our mind as we come to this letter and we think along with the seven churches that this is written to, about future sufferings, about coming afflictions, and we remember our, our secure place in God and we rejoice in that. Well, our letter starts, and we're just preaching the first two verses today. It starts with Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the, resurre- uh, by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and seek God's counsel as we unpack these couple of verses and intro the letter of 2 Peter. Holy Father, we come before you as your people, brought about by Christ Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. We sit, Lord, in the glory that is our inheritance, that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. We ask and, 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 and invite, Lord, your power to protect our faith as we face various trials And Lord, we ask that in protecting our faith, you give us a joy in the salvation that we already have and the kingdom that is already being built. And Lord, we ask for joy and gladness to carry us through as we meditate and are reminded of the goodness of what you have done for us. May your spirit fill us with understanding. May you increase our knowledge as Peter will charge us to do. And may, Lord, we not be found with an unbelieving heart. May your name be glorified. May sinners be humbled. And may holy living be proclaimed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, when starting a letter, it's important that we find the keys to the door of understanding. And often these are found either in the introduction or at the end of a letter. Uh, John, for instance, is one of the clearest because he always says, I am writing these things to you so that... Dot, dot, dot. Uh, I think in his gospel he says, so that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in, what, in John's letter, he also uh, writes... I'm writing this to you so that you know uh, that you have this in Christ, that you are safe, so that you know what you believe. Well, Peter is also helpful because he's not that cryptic as to why he is writing to his people. Uh, I know Simon Manchester, a past Sydney Anglican pastor from North Sydney, he says that in every introduction to the letter, you'll find the keys uh, to that letter. Uh, and I believe that to be so, that the introduction has for us uh, helpful information to help us interpret the letter. I also believe that the conclusions uh, of the letters reveal to us a helpful uh, key of understanding. So let me read 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2, the last chapter of 2 Peter. He says, This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the law of, of the Lord and Saviour command, commandments of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Well what we first see from Peter's uh, last chapter is that he's connecting his two letters. I've written to you before, uh, I'm writing to you again. And the reason I wrote to you before was to stir up your mind in, in a sincere, uh, your sincere mind by way of reminder, and I'm doing that again. And it's important here uh, that you remember the prophets. And if we, if we went back to 1 Peter chapter 1, we see that he appeals to the gospel from what the prophets said. Uh, he is now going to do a similar thing, but he's going to appeal to the prophets' writings for the sufferings that are going to come. So the first keys that we see for, for the Christian in order to understand this is that we need to recall to mind what the prophets have said. We need to recall to mind what the prophets have said. Therefore, when we understand language like the last days, the coming kingdom of heaven, uh, and all these phrases that we are going to see in uh, 2 Peter 3, we must connect it to the prophets. This is an, interpretation, an interpretational tool uh, that P P Peter is making sure we don't miss. He wants to remind us of the predictions of the prophets and he wants us to remember the commands of our Lord and Saviour through the apostles. So the first key is that we understand the predictions of the apostles. The second key is that it comes to our mind uh, at the start of it. He says he's stirring up our mind, our sincere mind by way of reminder. So we're putting the predictions of the, pro uh, the prophets into our mind uh, and we're also putting the commandments of our Lord and Saviour that came through the apostles into our mind as well. That's really important. It came through the apostles. So the third thing is that we have to remember the authority of the apostles. Uh, Christ's commands have come to us both through His own Word in the Gospels but through His Word by the Holy Spirit uh, to the Apostles to us. We cannot play Paul, Peter and John off Jesus. 
We cannot say, well, Jesus says this in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but Paul says something else here. They are all Jesus' words. It would be right to say of Romans that, that, that Jesus has said all the book of Romans, that Jesus has said all the book of 2 Peter. Uh, so we need to be careful in what we define as the commandments of Jesus. The commandments of Jesus came through Jesus, the prophets, and the apostles. Uh, and and we, need to be, uh, we need to see this as equally God's word, equally Christ's word to us. So, in summary, the letter is a reminder to have a mind that acknowledges Christ and his commandments by recalling the prophet's predictions together with Christ's church, uh, so that together, as Christ's church, we can stand firm and increase in the coming hardships. I'll say that again. In summary, 2 Peter is teaching us, uh, or is the letter, to remind us that, that we should acknowledge Christ and his commandments by recalling the prophet's predictions so that the church can stand firm and increase in coming hardships. Christ doesn't only want us to stand firm. He wants us to increase. And we will see that uh, in 2 Peter, that suffering, afflictions, that the decreation of old things and the recreation of new things does not mean that the gospel and the kingdom of God is stagnant. Well, there's a couple of other things that we should note about 2 Peter and the interpretation of this that we will find disagreements in. There is a phrase called the last days. We'll see this throughout the whole New Testament or the end of the age. Uh, some, will some will refer to this as being future things, uh, that this is still to come in our day. Others will interpret this as being future for the readers of this letter, but not future for us. Uh, and, and the last day referring to a decreation of the Jewish ways and a recreation of the Christian church. And still others will refer to it uh, as meaning both. So they will say uh, that, it is a, that it is a prediction that came true for the people of 2 Peter, and it's still a prediction that's coming true for us in future days. The last days was a, was a then and now uh, sort of meaning. For me, as you most probably already know, I sit in the middle one. I believe that this uh, has already happened. It was written to a specific uh, recipient uh, of churches and they had last days coming for them and it was the last days of the Jewish uh, faith uh, and the old covenant and the new covenant was going to be ushered in by the destruction of Ju Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. In saying that, we still have suffering, we still have reflections, we still need to be stirred up by the way of reminder, uh, so this is a helpful letter for us to uh, be uh, stirred up by way of reminder so that we can be born-again Christians who are increasing in our faith in Jesus and our obedience to His commands that come through the apostles as we face sufferings and hardships. This morning we are looking at the introduction of, of this letter, which, is, which Peter gives us three main points and are helpful for interpret, uh, interpreting what he is trying to achieve through his letter. The three points are that servant is an honoured position. 
The second one is equal standing in faith, yet subordinate to authority. And the third one is grace and peace comes through knowledge. And we're going to unpack those as we work through. Peter starts by introducing himself. I am Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. We know that Simon Peter are both his names. I'm not going to go into too much. I'm not going to go into any depth on that. I want to look at this first title that he gives himself, a servant and then an apostle. He, although is an apostle, but opens with the title that all Christians should have. Uh, this, key, this is a key to enduring hardship, to remember that, in servanthood, that servanthood is an honoured position. That in the midst of being a servant of God or a servant of Christ, it means we are submitting wholeheartedly to His will, whatever that may be. It may be 400 years in slavery to an Egyptian king. It may be in a crumbling secular society that we find ourselves in. And it may be that our lifetime will be spent in that crumbling society. But whatever it is, as servants of God or servants of Christ, we say, well, this is the time that God has placed us in. Let's use it well. So Peter is sympathizing with his recipients. He's saying, I am a servant of the Lord as you are a servant of the Lord. And he places servant before he puts apostle. When we look through the whole of Scripture, we see that many of the great heroes of the faith, the great cloud of witnesses that we see in Hebrews 11, are all seen as servants of God. Abraham is described that in Psalm 105, 42, and Jacob in Isaiah 48, 20. Moses was a servant of God. Joshua also was a servant of the Lord. Uh, it is said of Jesus in Isaiah 42, 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And by his own admission in Mark 10:45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom of many. Which of course is a call to Jesus' church to imitate him and be a church member who is a servant of God. When we see servant, what they are actually saying is slave. We, in our ESV translation, have changed it to servant. Uh, but we should not be offended by the phrase slave of God because being a slave of God is true freedom. We see that through the fact that Jesus was happy to be a slave to God. We see that through the fact that all the Old Testament people that we just read about were happy to be slaves of God. That slavery to God means that we are no longer slaves to Satan and to sin. And being a slave of God means, as Paul has said in 1 Corinthians 4.1, that we have been entrusted with the mysteries of God. Being a slave of God means that our eyes have been opened and the veil has been pulled back and we can see rightly that our sin is before us, that we need to bow our knee and repent and acknowledge Christ as Lord and accept that our old way of life was evil and that needs to be deconstructed and we need a new creation to come through Him, which He has accomplished through His death and resurrection. Which brings us to our next point. Now that we know that servant is an honoured title, 
Yet Christ has given real authority among his servants. All throughout human history, we have seen different authorities take place. So, alongside servant is apostle of Christ. And then Peter says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He puts servant and then he puts apostle of Christ. And then he tells us who he's writing to. I'm writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. We have the same faith as Peter, James, John, as Paul. Yet we don't have the same authority. We are subordinate to their authority. We are to submit to their authority. They are superior and we are inferior in terms of authority. Not in terms of equality or what we have received in Christ. So in Matthew 10, we see the transition where Jesus makes his disciples apostles. Uh, In Matthew 10, it says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and so on. Uh, But we see straight away the guy writing this letter to the old test to the old church, to the church in the early first century and to us today was given a title of apostle means sent one and they were sent to have authority like Christ over the unclean spirits Christ when he came to earth came to bind up satan he came to crush satan's head and he gave authority to his disciples to do the same thing to spread uh, the the mission of what he, was, what he was going to achieve. Ultimately, he achieves this in his death and resurrection. But at this point, we are, we are confronted with an authority that is Christ's authority given to men. Sinful men, redeemed by Christ, but nonetheless, men. They were given an authority. And of course, we have read this already, but Peter confirms this in Peter 3.2, when he says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the command of our Lord Lord and Saviour through your apostles. That was a weighty task that the apostles were given. And we see the transition of power that comes upon them when Peter goes from denying Christ three times to standing before 3,000 men plus their women and children and preaching so boldly that they crucified Christ. There's no doubt that something changed in Peter. There's no doubt that there was a decreation of the old Peter and a recreation of something new, new life took place in Peter's experience in his, in his life. And therefore the commandments of the Lord came through the apostles. This is of utmost importance because we want to know what Jesus' commands are. And we can't just look in the, in the Gospels. We need to read also the letters and recall also the prophets. You know, Jesus doesn't teach on whether circumcision should be practiced today in the church or not. But Paul does. Therefore, Jesus does. And so on in 
any other thing that we see in the Scriptures that Jesus is the one actually teaching by the Holy Spirit through his apostles. So from this servant apostle, we are given a great encouragement that he writes to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with these being, with, with these being the apostles. This is, this is worth us understanding. We have the same faith, the same Saviour, the same righteousness that came through our God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We have all things equal, yet we are still subordinate to someone. It doesn't make us of lesser value, but it is for our good and the good of the world. We see this all throughout God's creation world, that hierarchy is important because if there is no hierarchy, there is anarchy. It also images the triune God. That in the midst of one God with the three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we see that there is an order of hierarchy. The Father is, 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 is above the Son and the Spirit and the Son submits to the Father's will and the Spirit submits to Christ. It is glorious and beautiful that they are one God, yet within the one God there is hierarchy. Can life function without hierarchy? Considering all of creation is created from a God who is both one but three, the answer is no. And considering we have a letter called Judges, which reveals to us of what a society looks like when there is no hierarchy. Yet let's not use a period of time when sin after sin. If we go back to before sin, we see God establishes hierarchy in the garden making man first and giving him a helper fit for him. We see that both Jesus and Peter, uh, Jesus and, and Paul appealed to the creation account when establishing the authority of man over creatures and his wife. What we must gain from this passage is that enduring the coming sufferings requires submission to the authorities that God has placed in our life knowing that we are all striving for the same faith on the same mission to see Christ's righteousness abound in our lives and in the world. Obedience to God-given authority is what will keep us through coming sufferings. First, to Jesus' commandments coming through the apostles and to the other authorities that Christ has established through the apostles. Elders in the church, husbands in the home and governors in the land. We see that both equality in what we have received and authority can function and actually has to function in order for a group of people to function. We see this in the image of God. We see it in the image of the church household. We see it in the family unit. And we see it in society. So when we look at Peter, we see him as a servant, yet we see him as our authority as well. And Peter will say to us in chapter 2 that even when the world around us looks like it's crumbling, a world, say, like Noah before the flood or like Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, we are to be imitators of Christ's righteousness and preachers of his righteousness. While death and destruction come in both of these men's lives, because they listened to the Lord's commandments and loved righteousness, they were kept and new life came out of death and destruction. 
And this is what Peter will charge us. As our equal in faith, yet leader and ruler in the church, he tells us that we need to be obedient to Christ's commands and preachers of his righteousness, and that as the society we know crumbles and falls around us, we will see life come from death and destruction, as Lot did, as Noah did. And the Apostle's first exhortation to us comes in verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are common lines from Paul. He uses it both as a greeting and as a farewell. And it often feels as if he's, he's sending us some good feelings, right? Grace and peace to you. And you, you, you're waiting for the, the big rush of a good feeling. But, but Peter gives us some greater insight and he does this through the whole of chapter 1. And this is essentially what he is going to say will help you through the coming sufferings, the coming afflictions, is that grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to repeat this four times in the first chapter. And he's going to use two different words. The first one, I can't say Greek. The first one is, is this, this word here, knowledge, and it's actually acknowledge, what we confess, what we believe, what we acknowledge about God and Christ. And the other way he's going to use it is to increase in knowledge, to not stay stagnant, to not just uh, stay like the, the writer of Hebrews says, on elementary things laying the foundations of repentance and the resurrection, but moving on and increasing in what we acknowledge about God and Jesus Christ. What he is warning against is apostasy. Apostasy is defined for us in Hebrews 3.12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away, from the living God. The warning for the New Testament writers, the apostles, to the church, so what is Jesus' command for us? Is be aware that we do not have an unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from the living God. Be aware that we have not falsely convinced ourselves that we are believers in Jesus. And when is apostasy most common? In uncertain times. In unstable times. When things are falling down around us. When the society as we know is being deconstructed and rebuilt into something new. That is when we see all the New Testament writers warn us that apostasy is likely to happen. I don't know the stats, but how many people left the church in COVID and never came back? How many Jews fled into Assyria and never came back when they were being exiled? How many, how many people fled the faith when World War I and II took place? Peter is going to give us everything 
and has done in his previous letter everything we need to stir up our sincere mind by way of reminder so that when these uncertain times come, we will not be found with an unbelieving heart that leads us away from the living God. In Peter's last letter, he put it this way. In this you rejoice. The in this was what we read at the beginning. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you are being grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The various trials that we will experience, that it will be inevitable for us to, to grow in our faith, are testing the genuineness of our faith. It's proving our character. It's making sure that what we acknowledge is true. Do you acknowledge God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit? Do we acknowledge Christ, the Lord Jesus, who died and rose from the dead and gave us His righteousness, giving us salvation by faith? Are these things true of what we acknowledge? One of the questions that is implied here is, what, what does it mean, or what do we acknowledge about God and of Jesus Christ? Or, sorry, does, it, does what we acknowledge about God and of the Lord Jesus Christ align with the Apostles' teaching? Does what we acknowledge about God and the Lord Jesus Christ align with the Apostles' teaching. He's told us He is an Apostle. He's told us He has authority over us. He's told us that Jesus' commandments have come through the Apostles. And now we have to ask the question is, do we believe what the Apostles have said? Do we stand upon what Jesus has said by His Holy Spirit through the Apostles? Well, here's what one of the Apostles says in Romans 5. Paul Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in hope of the glory of God. But hear the next verse. We don't only boast in the hope of the glory of God, we boast, we not only, but we we not only do this, but we also boast in our afflictions. We boast in our afflictions. We're, we're okay to say, I'm going through this suffering in order to test the genuineness of my faith. I'm going through this trial with sin, this trial of sickness. I'm going through this decrepit, breaking down secular society because God is testing how genuine my faith is and in that I'm going to boast because, Paul says, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because, Paul says, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not put to shame. The reason we boast in our afflictions the reason we boast in our various trials is because they are teaching us to be pers to they are teaching us to persevere. And the more we persevere, the more our character is proven. Speaking to Grace's dad this week and he 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 talks to a lot of Christians, older Christians with a lot of money. And uh, and one of the guys has got cancer. 
And, uh, and Stuart was saying, how are you going with this? And he says, the Bible tells me to rejoice, so that's what I'm going to do. An old saint. How could he say that? Because he has been proven. He has been through, he has, he has been through afflictions in his past before. He knows that God will carry him through. He has persevered and therefore his character is proven. So he now has hope. He has hope in his cancer. He has hope in this diagnosis. And he says, I am rejoicing. That's what the Bible tells me to do. That's what I'm going to do. That doesn't come from a young Christian. That comes from a proven Christian. One who has experienced suffering and affliction. So church, we, in our introduction to faith, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And then as we mature, we boast in our afflictions, knowing that it's producing in us perseverance, proven character, and that gives us a certain hope. We don't become mature Christians when we are born again. We become infants again. We become children. And we grow up into our faith. What Peter is going to remind us of is that you don't get all the knowledge in the beginning. That you're going to have to persevere some time in order to grow in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that as you persevere, that knowledge that you are increasing is going to become a greater peace and a greater grace to you. And the feeling, yes, there is a feeling attached to it, will grow more certain and secure. But it comes through the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That by growing in the knowledge and increasing in the knowledge, we will persevere, our character will be proven, and we will have a certain hope that will not put to shame. Let me finish with Peter's words at, from 2 Peter 1, 8, and 9, 8 to 10. This is wonderful, wonderful words. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For, if this, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Church, practice these qualities that we are going to study over the next month or so. Practice increasing in the knowledge of our Lord, our God and Lord Jesus Christ, and you will never fall. You will never fall. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your apostles, that they have this wonderful authority over us, that we love and invite into our life, knowing that 
by the authority structures that you have set, we will not be deceived and blown from every wind and wave of doctrine, but we will be certain. And we will acknowledge what the apostles acknowledged about you. And we will remember in our minds all the goodness that you have poured out in us and all the grace and mercy that has been lavished upon us. And in doing so, we will boast in the afflictions that come our way, knowing that they produce in us perseverance, proven character, and a hope that is certain and will not be put to shame. We love you, Lord. We know that this society is crumbling around us, that life as we know it today may not be the same in years to come, but we know what is certain, your kingdom, and it stands firm on unshakable ground. May we trust in you all the days of our life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.